If you have a Bible, turn to the book of Exodus. In the book of Exodus, we have been looking at and following along in the journey of Moses and the Israelites as they are on a journey toward God. This journey toward God is really a parallel of what our own lives look like in our own journey toward God, of what that means and what that, um, what that uh, really parallels is getting to know him and walking with him through life. And that's what we're seeing them do. So if you have a Bible, uh, turn to Exodus chapter 3. Now last week what we had looked at and what we had been observing is the, the questioning that's going forth between God and Moses. And one of the weeks Moses asked the question, well who am I? Why would you pick me? I'm a nobody. I'm a failure. I've messed up too much. Why in the world would you pick me? Where God essentially said to him, it's not about you, Moses. It's about me with you. And I have made you brand new. You're not who you used to be. Last week, we looked at the question, who are you? And that question of who are you, uh, Jonathan, for some reason, that's not popping up on the screen. Um, But who are you was the question of um, God it's not about me now. I want to know who you are. What is your name? What should we call you? How should we refer you? How can I convince the people that you are who you say you are? Here was the encounter that God and Moses had. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And God answered, well, here's my name. My name is I am who I am. Now, in the Hebrew, that is the name of, uh, of God, which is Yahweh. It's the yod heh vav heh in the Hebrew. And that is the name that we know as Yahweh. I am who I am. God's saying my name is Yahweh. What does that mean exactly? Well, last week, we looked at what that meant. It meant God was saying, I'm the beginning and the end. I'm the alpha and the omega. I'm the creator. I'm the first and the last. I've always been. I exist. I exist eternally. I'm an eternal God. There is no beginning or end, which, again, is a hard concept for us to wrap our brains around because we see beginnings and ends. But God says, I exist. I've always been. I always will be. I'm unchanging. Another word you could put in there is I'm promise keeping. So you could say that he keeps his promises. That's who God is. He's unchanging. He keeps his promises. And ultimately, we get a picture of his love. That's who God is. He is a loving God. He's not who we have created in our minds to be. He is a loving God. Now, here's what the conversation goes on to say. And God said to Moses, Moses, I want you to say to the people, the I am Yahweh has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac and of Jacob has appeared to me. I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt. And I promise that I'm going to do something for you. And I want you to note these words. God said, I have observed you. I have seen what has been done to you. And I promise you that I'm not going to let that go. God does the same thing today. He sees, 
he observes, he knows what has been done, and he will do something about it. He promises. But often it's not in our timetable, and it's not the way that we think it should be done. We want maybe revenge, vengeance right now. God is saying, no, I will take care of this. I promise you, you wait upon me. And he says three things here that I think are absolutely astonishing. Three little words that really jumped out to me as I was looking back at this this week. And he says, and I will bring you up out of the affliction of, the, uh, of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, to a land flowing with milk and honey. I want you to notice these three words, up, out, and to. If you think about it, those three words are the pictures of life. Up. What is up? God says, I promise I'm going to bring you up, out, and to. Up means this. There's an immediacy. There is a now. I'm going to bring you up out of the pit that you are in. You have fallen into the depths of a pit and you can't get yourself out. You have messed up. You're in the gutter of life. You can't fix this. So I'm going to bring you up. I'm going to help you stand up. I'm going to help you get up. Pick you up, fix you up. I'm going to get you up. And that's the immediacy. That's the here and now that God wants to deliver us from. He looks at your life and he looks at my life and he may see in your life that you're in a pit. You may think you're just fine, but you're still stuck in a pit. So God says, I'm going to pick you up. And then he says, and I promise that I'm going to bring you out. Now, out is a picture of the journey of life. Out is together. I'm going to be with you on this journey. We're going to go on a big trip. It's a big adventure. And it may not be exactly as easy as you think it should be. It's not going to be convenient. It's not going to be comfortable. It's not going to be a life of ease and, 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 and comfort and everything that you want. But I promise you, God says, I will bring you out. I will be with you. Whatever you go through, I'm there with you. You're going to have some trials. I'm there. You're going to have some hard times. I'm there. You're going to have difficulties in life. I'm right there. You're also going to have joys and wonders and pleasures of life. And I'm right there because I am with you on the journey until we get to the destination. What is the destination? It's the finish line. It is the promised land. It is the goal God has for every person. I'm going to get you to the land flowing with milk and honey which is a wonderful picture of what eternity is. That God wants us not to focus on the here and now because, you know, sometimes life is fun. Sometimes life is, is hard and trying. This world is not all that we have. This world is, in fact, not very great sometimes. We have a destination, a two. And so God's promise is this for you and I. I'm going to pick you up. I'm going to take you out. Until we get to where we need to go. And that's how he works with us. And that's what he was going to do to the Israelites. Moses, tell them, I promise I'm going to get you up. I'm going to get you out. And I'm going to get you to the finish line and the promised land. Now, today, we are going to go on to 
more of the conversation because Moses is going to still have a conversation with God where he is questioning how sane of an idea this is and how much he's really the one called to this because he is not capable in his mind to be able to do this. There's a lot of excuses that Moses is giving. Who am I? Who are you? And what we'll cover for the next couple of weeks after this. Let's pray as we begin. Father, I pray today that we would understand your heart. Your heart is to pick us up, to bring us out, and to get us to the finish line. I pray, Lord, that our hearts would be receptive. Some of us today are stuck in that pit. We have never accepted you. We think, well, we're just fine, and we can do it ourselves, and we don't need any help from anybody but we're still stuck in a pit. You have come down into that pit to put us on your back and carry us out. You brought us up. And now, Lord, help us as we are going out and we are on a journey of life and we are going through the struggles and the battles of life. Be with us as we are being delivered out until we finally get to that wonderful moment that we could be with you for eternity. Protect us and help us, Lord. And today, as we read your word, speak to our hearts and help us, Lord, today to be convinced of who you are and how much you care about us. Lord, please bless this time. And our, for our baptisms, Lord, make it a special, meaningful time in the life of not only those that are getting baptized, but in the life of this church. We thank you, we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. There was once a story told about a man who was very, very wealthy, had a huge house that he had lived in, and this man was really desiring to collect art from all over the world. And he had. He had accumulated a massive amount of art throughout the entire world. He was having a conversation with another person about this famous painting, a watercolor, and he thought, I've got to have that for my collection. In fact, he not only wanted to have it, he almost became obsessed with getting this for his collection. He hired an agent to be that broker for him to go out and find this painting that he could add to the collection of his house. He had paintings hung down the hallways and in the magnificent libraries and living rooms and all of the different spaces around the house. The agent went out searching for this one painting. A month went by and the agent came back and said, sir... I can't find the painting anywhere. I don't know where it is. I searched and I searched, and then I figured out where it was. The man was intrigued. He said, well, if you figured out where it was, why didn't you buy it for me? You were hired to buy this painting for me. No, no, sir, let me tell you where it was. Could, could you walk with me, sir? The guy says, okay, fine, I'll walk with you. They walked down the magnificent hallways. They went to the elegant mahogany library that had paintings hung everywhere. He looked into the corner of the room and he said, sir, look into the corner. There's the painting that you've been longing after for all of this time. It's always been here. It's always been in your possession, but you never knew it. The same way with God we have him if we have accepted him into our lives, but we are failing to recognize and walk with him through this. God has a purpose and a plan for your life where you're at today, even if you don't realize it. 
I've said this many times from the pulpit, and I hope it finally sticks someday. I am not the minister only in this church. And Grant is also not the only minister of the church. Did you know, if you have accepted Jesus into your heart, you are the ministers of this church. I may be the one who stands up here on a Sunday morning and preaches and opens God's word. But we collectively are the ministers of the gospel. And we have the beauty of the Lord walking with us on the journey we are on to be the ministers of the gospel wherever he has you planted today. We're going to learn that today in this story. I'm going to continue on in this story in Exodus chapter 3. Picking it up in verse 18. And let's again eavesdrop on the conversation that's going on between God and Moses. Moses had asked, well, who am I? And then Moses asked, well, who are you? And now Moses is going to bring up another thing. Now, God is finishing this conversation when he says this. And Moses, the people of God, the people of Israel, are going to listen to your voice. And you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt, the Pharaoh, and you're going to say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. And now, please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But God says, I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and I will strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he's going to let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of God. Uh, I will give this uh, people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty. But each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing, and they're going to give it to you. And you're going to put it on your sons and your daughters, and you're going to plunder the Egyptians. You're not just going out empty-handed. You're going out with all of the back wages that you should have been paid for years and years and years. Well, then Moses had this conversation, and he answered the Lord, And he said to him, "Uh, God, they will not believe me or listen to my voice. They're just going to say to me, Moses, you're crazy. The Lord did not appear to you. Lord said to him, hey, Moses, what's that in your hand? And he said, it's a staff. And God said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground and it became a serpent. And Moses ran from it. Which is, by the way, one of the only things that I can identify with with Moses in my own life. Because if there was a snake, I am going to run from it. I am a macho, manly man. I just want you to know this. I am very, very macho, manly. But snakes give me the chills. Anybody else like that? It's just like they creep me out to no end. I can't look around them. I can't think about them. It's just they freak me out. I would be like Moses. If a snake appears on the ground, I am... I'm going to run from it. 
Then, yeah, well, here's a story with it. I, I was, and I've told this before, some of you have heard this, but I was, I don't know how many years ago it was now, but I walked outside of my bare feet of our house. We just, we live just a, not very far from the church here. We have a um, couple of acres that we live on. And so we lived there, went outside, it's the country, and there was a little thing sticking out underneath the siding of our front porch. And I walk out in bare feet, bare feet and go to the dumpster to throw away some garbage and I walk back in. I see this little thing. I thought it was a frog. And I looked closer at it. And it was the head of a snake that was sticking out underneath our siding. And I did the most manly thing possible. I went inside and yelled, Andrew, come up and take care of this snake that's on my porch. He was about 14 at the time. So that's about how manly I am. He came up, we got a rake, he actually hooked the snake, the head of the snake, with that rake, pulled it out, and it was a good, I don't know, maybe six feet long that he pulled this out from underneath our siding, and I am just freaking out at this point. He holds the rake up with the snake on it, kind of toward me, that was it. I ran from it, as Moses did. But the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand. And catch it by the tail. Can you imagine being in Moses' shoes? Go ahead, just grab it by the tail. I know it's not going to hurt you. At most, it'll just give you a little love kiss. That's all it will do. Just grab it by the tail. It'll be just fine. Can you imagine the faith to do that? Grab it by the tail? Never forget the story of my father-in-law, Jake, who was out, again, on our just, you know, little little property, and he was driving on it, and he saw a snake, a rattlesnake, and he did what I would not do. What I would do is I would run over the snake multiple times, putting it in drive and par, or reverse, going back and forth. Not him, because he's, again, more of a man, I guess, than I am. He jumps out. Steps on the head of the snake, I guess, and cuts the head of the snake off of this rattlesnake. I'm like, why would you do that? But he did that. Then, in his wisdom, he thought, well, I'm going to cut the rattle off of the end of the snake, of this rattlesnake, and I'm going to keep the rattle, which, again, why would you want to do that? But he did that. As he cut the tail rattle off of the end of the snake, even though the head was cut off, the snake had still that reflex in its body, I guess. And as he was cutting the tail off, it curved around and it struck him, the bloody stump of the snake, in the middle of his hand, leaving a blood spot, which I th he may have had to change his underwear after that. I don't know exactly what he had to do. That's reaching up and grabbing it by its tail. <laughs> That's what Moses was commanded by God. So what did he do? He obeyed. He put out his hand, caught it, and it became a staff in his hand as soon as he did that. Now notice, God did not make it a staff again, and then he could pick it up. He said, first you grab it, then I'll make it a staff, and then you can pick it up. It's a step of faith, a step of obedience in his life. Now, I don't think he's going to do the rest or do that to us in the same way, but there may be other things in our lives that he says, you take a step of faith, grab it by the tail, and I will do something amazing. Just watch. It became a staff in his hand that they may believe the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Again, the Lord said to him, 
Moses, let's do another, let's do another experiment here. Put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside the cloak, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous, like snow. Then God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. He put it back inside, and when he took it out, behold, it was restored, like the rest of his flesh. And God said, if they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the second one. If they will not believe even these these two signs or listen to your voice, I want you to take some water from the Nile, pour it on the dry ground, and the water that you take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. There's a phrase in this conversation that has always intrigued me. And I believe it's one of those phrases that we can really think about and mull over and start to take to heart. And the phrase was this. He said to him, Moses, what is that in your hand? And what did Moses answer? It's a staff. And I've always been intrigued by this thought. What is that in your hand? What is is a staff? Well, a staff is nothing. A staff is a, a dead, dry stick. That's all it is. Well, it's kind of more than a dead, dry stick. It's a shepherd's tool. It's a simple shepherd's tool. A staff would be used to lead sheep, to, to corral sheep, to protect sheep from, from attacks of, of other animals and predators. Um, a staff could be used for walking purposes. It could be used for numbers of things. But really, it's just a tool. It represents an occupation. It is something altogether ordinary. And that leads to what the key point of all of this is, and that is, in the hands of Almighty God, an ordinary thing becomes extraordinary. What things has God put into your hands that are the tools that he has given you for life? We all have those tools. Let's talk about what those tools are that he has given us and how we use them for life. Let's talk about what's in your hand and what's in my hand today. Here's the first thing that is in our hands. It is my assignment. I said to you earlier, it's not the pastor who stands on the stage that is the minister. It is the collective church that is the minister of the gospel. And as the collective church, God has placed you exactly where he wants you to be. Note this. You may be a coal miner, and you've heard the word associated with coal miners, that they're not coal miners, they are what? Coal whiners. You've all heard that, right? You're not a coal whiner, you're a coal miner. You are a coal miner assigned by God at that place. And at that moment, what's in your hand? Well, it could be the steering wheel of the haul truck. It could be the, the controls of a shovel. It could be, being a, it could be a wrench because you're a mechanic in that place. Whatever your assignment is, that's the tool that God says to you, what's in your hand? You may say, oh, it's just a steering wheel or it's just a wrench. No, in the hands of God, the steering wheel and the wrench is the tool that God is going to use for you to have an impact upon everybody else that is there. Do you understand this? You may be a teacher. What's in your hand? Well, it's a bunch of students that are in my hands. It's a laptop. It's pencils. It's whatever it might be. 
No, what's in your hand is these things that God is going to use to have an impact on everybody else around you. When you teach, you're not a teacher because that's your trade. You are a minister of the gospel in that location. I, for a little while at the beginning of the church to help make ends meet, I, I drove school bus while, I, while we were getting the church started. And I always looked at driving the school bus as I'm not a bus driver. I am a minister to these kids as they get on and off the bus and to build into their lives God's blessings. That is the tools that are in your hands. It could be a spatula because you're a chef. It could be a hammer because you're a carpenter. It could be a laptop because you work in an industry somewhere. It could be a stethoscope because you're in the medical profession. God says to you, what's in your hand? You may be, and my wife struggled with this for early in our marriage especially. She was a stay-at-home mom, and we made a decision to do that. That was a blessing. And she always struggled with, does, I'm not really contributing anything. I'm not really doing anything. I'm not getting a paycheck for any reason. You know what? If you're a stay-at-home mom, God has called you to do that. That is your assignment. And God will use it to bless your children and to bless others. So what is in your hand? In Colossians, Paul says this in chapter 3. Whatever you do, do your work heartily. As for the Lord rather than for men, you're not working for people, you are working for God, knowing that the Lord, from the Lord, you're going to receive an inheritance, it's going to be a reward, it is the Lord Christ whom you serve. So what is our assignment, my assignment, that's what's in my hand, well that is what God has called me to do, and it's the tools of my trade in whatever he has called me to do. Never put down your job thinking, well, I'm just this, or I'm just that, or I, I hate my job. No, you're working for the Lord. He has you where he wants you. Be the best at that because he is your boss. Number two, what else is in my hand? Well, under my control, let's say. How about this? My attitude. My attitude is under my control. It's something that's in my, in my wheelhouse that I can be in control of and I can have an impact. Do you know that your attitude and your character affects everybody around you? If you are critical and negative and shaming and condemning, if you're bitter, no one wants to be around you. And you are, in fact, are having an opposite effect for the kingdom of God than a positive effect. Your attitude is under your control, and you can be exactly what God wants you to be. It says this in Philippians chapter 2, Paul says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Other versions say grumbling or complaining. How many of you are complainers? And you grumble. If you're a teenager, you naturally know how to do this. Grumbling and complaining does not honor the Lord. If he says, what's in your hand? And you say, well, pretty bad attitude. That's what's in my hand. Oh, no, it's not going to fly. My attitude for him doing all things without grumbling or complaining or disputing is one of the things that I have the ability to control. I want to show you just a little video clip as a reminder of this complaining attitude. Maybe a good example of how we can fix this complaining attitude as well. So, Jonathan, would you please play that for us? Exactly. Snap away and make it.
Okay. Do not use if you are pregnant, have a heart condition, or wear braces. Guess I'm good to go. To test, hold in front and say something negative. Um, boy, this weather really stinks. Yikes. It takes. I'm very comfortable. Turned on the intensity a little bit. Let's give this thing a test run. Man, it is freezing out today. Okay, what? Stating a fact. I was stating a fact. Boy, this coffee is terrible. Don't freeze up on me now, you lousy. This is sustained. Can't keep one single thing. I know what you mean. That's just how he is, though. He's like, woe is me, my life is so terrible. <laughs> you gotta be kidding. This is unbelievable. I can't even get it. It's green. Come on, lady, will you move? Hello, is this the complaint chat the complaint center? Yes, I have a I have a suggestion. I think your complaint zapper is far too sensitive. As a matter of fact, I think it's a piece of junk and I want my full That's it. You're coming off. I'm done with you. of my stinking all right well i think maybe if we go in together we could get a whole we could order a bunch of those and just distribute wouldn't that be great ordering a bunch of those so my attitude is another thing that is in your hand my hand i have the ability to present this to the lord Number three, I also have my abilities to bring before God. That's another thing that is in my hand. Every person has a unique set of skills. You have uh, abilities. You have things that you can do that God wants you to use that you've just kept dormant instead of using them for his kingdoms and his name's sake. What abilities do you have? First Peter says this, as each one has received a special gift... Employ it in serving one another. So instead of keeping those abilities to yourself, your abilities to maybe teach or to, to lead or to share or to fix or whatever it might be, use those for God's sake. When God says, what's in your hands? You can say, here's my abilities. Here's my job. Here's, uh, here's my attitude. These are the things that are in my hand. Finally, what else is in my hand? My abundance. 
what God has blessed me and given to me. An abundance. To see someone in need and actually use the abundance that God has given me to help others, to support others, to share with others. In 1 John it says this, But whoever has the world's goods and beholds his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? And so God has given multiple things into our hands. We have an assignment by God. He's put you exactly where he wants you to be. In fact, we had a, a, a packed first service, and between first service and second service, we have people in every corner of this community. We have people all across the community in different facets that God can use for his kingdom's sake. We all have an attitude. It can be different from everybody else. We all have abilities that he has given us, and we have an abundance from God that we can help others who are in need. That's the things, as God says to Moses, what's in your hand, that's what's in our hands. Before we go into our time of baptism, and if you're one that's going to be baptized, make sure you're, you're ready for that. Hopefully we have some in here, and it wasn't just for service. But how do I get these things under my control? These are in my control. My job my attitude, my abilities, my abundance. Well, here's what I want you to do. Number one, be grateful. Be grateful for what God has done in your life. Be grateful for what he has given to you. Be grateful for his presence in your life. Number two, be willing. Be an open vessel to God. Hands that are turned toward God to say, God, everything in my hand is yours. When God says to Moses, what's in your hand? And he says to you, what's in your hand? You can say, here it is, God. Use it however you see fit. Here is my job. I want to use it for your sake. I'm not just a person at this job. I'm a minister of the gospel. Here's my abilities. Here's what I can do. God, use it however you want to use it. God, here is the abundance of my life. Use it however you want. It's all yours. And you be willing and then be observant. Be observant to people around you where God wants to use you. God may say to you, I want you to go talk to that person. I want you to share with them. I want you to give to that. I want you to encourage them. Whatever it might be, be observant. Listen to the spirit of God and be willing to say, God, here I am. Use me. Well, that was the question of the day. The question that God asks is, what's in your hand? What is in your hand today? What has God given you? How has God used you or is wanting to use you for his kingdom's sake? All right, we're going to go ahead and pray. And then we'll do, if we have any baptisms here for second service, we will do those now. And I'm going to invite the um, elders up to be able to help and assist in that process. But let's pray here today. Father, thank you so much for your love for us, for your care about our lives. When you asked the question to Moses, you also asked the question to us. What's in your hand? Lord, for some, it may be a hammer. It may be a wrench. It may be a computer. Maybe it's a group of children, whether it's a teacher or maybe it's a stay-at-home mom. It's a group of children. Maybe it's a telephone. Whatever it is, Lord, help us to shine the light, to be salt in a, in, in a world that desperately needs you. Help us to use our assignment 
and our attitudes and our abilities and our abundance for your kingdom's sake. The same way that Moses would, Lord, use his staff, use his life for your sake. Help us to be willing to do the same. Father, thank you for this time that we have together. We pray for your blessing in Jesus name. Amen.